I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management, and developing amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my, two, with my husband and two mostly delightful children. Having worked in senior marketing roles in the UK, US, and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited hugely from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncover the stories of influencers sharing their thought-provoking business and leadership insights. Today, I'm talking with Stella Vools, organizational psychologist, or as she rather delightfully says, cultural change whisperer, leadership developer, board capability advisor, co-CEO of Juiced, and beekeeper. Stella's LinkedIn bio says that she operates at the intersection of people and change, the psychology of behaviour and organisational change. I first met Stella about 14 years ago when she was working at Mercer and she's had a really interesting career path since then. Stella, welcome. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's an absolute pleasure and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And I'm not sure I've done your varied and impressive (laughs) background justice. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, oh, no, look, I think you summed it up nicely. The only thing that I would probably add is that um, my most challenging role to date has been my most recent one of Beekeeper. And uh, it probably has uh, demanded a really, really interesting um, need for a focus on my values, which I didn't expect. So, um, you know, it's, you that know. is. That's fascinating. How, yeah. how so, before we get into well, the slightly I just, more... I just thought that, you know, um, we've got some property down in um, in regional Victoria and I thought, oh, we need something that doesn't need a whole lot of maintenance. Bees mm-hmm. sound a great mm-hmm. idea. We'll collect some honey. Simple. Yeah. But um, no, there's lots of decisions you need to make about life and death and all sorts of things related Ooh. to beekeeping. So, um, yeah, it's been more challenging than I anticipated. Well, I, uh, I think that sounds very interesting. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Now, Stella, you're doing a lot in the leadership development space and looking particularly at how our expectations of the way that a leader behaves is evolving. I'm really keen for you to explore this. Yeah, look, I think this is a really interesting space that's been evolving probably for the last decade or so. And um, there's this um, increase in access and transparency um, and you know, I really like the coin term around um, the democratization of knowledge, which mm. I think sits behind it, uh, where it's you know the action of making something accessible to everyone. And you know, you, it, I think its roots are very much in Silicon Valley, where um, you know the the tech giants are almost a modern day version of our flower power um, children. <laughs> um, they anti-establishment, this counterculture of breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it spawned this notion of open source, open access, um, where there's um, access to data and code frames um, and analytics and yeah. templates. And, um, and, you know, this is um, kind of really powerful stuff. And I'm fascinated by this movement because I, I see it as the bedrock of disruption and innovation. Mm. And so um, we have things like Wikipedia and um, you know WikiLeaks, um, yeah, you know, yeah. really controversial mm. stuff coming out of it. But likewise, we also have um, you know Canva, who's made uh, graphic design accessible to everyone. Yeah. Um, yes. We have CultureAmp, who's made statistics accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we have Zero, who's made bookkeeping accessible to everybody. You know, all these sure. things that are very low cost. Yes. And likewise, I think that um, all, in organisations, this movement um, has created a shift in uh, the power dynamic where there's a shared leadership platform um, with employees where influence is more accessible mm -hmm. to everyone. And um, I think that, you know, employees have a voice more so than they have ever had now and I think leaders are expected to listen and to empathise um, and you know, to the point where their performance is actually now evaluated on these things, um, more, sometimes even more than what they actually deliver. Sure. Well, um, that's, that's a massive change. Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's given rise to things like inclusive, um, more diverse cultures, more authentic Yes. Leadership. Yeah. Um, and I think that leaders are held to a higher account, a higher order level than they have before, mm -hmm. um, where things like social and ethical values are wound um, into their performance above you know, what we expect of them um, in the past. And they're expected to be able to tap into the zeitgeist of mm -hmm. today and respond to it. Um, and I think all of that coincides with what we now understand around trust. Okay, tell me more about so, that. So, you know, if you look at just this year's um, Edelman Trust Barometer, yes. we see that people trust their employer over and above um, the government and the media. And we see that people trust my employer mm -hmm. at 77% compared to the government at 42% and the media at 40%. It's a chasm. That's a phenomenal In between, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there's this shift in terms of trusting uh, relationships that they can control. Okay. And, and so what employers are actually able to do is amplify this because it's, um, you know, it's, it's very much a, a strength for employers mm -hmm. to be able to tap into. Um, and they'll be rewarded for doing that. Australian employees, we know, when, when you correlate um, trust, it, it also delivers higher rates of advocacy, yeah. higher rates yes. of loyalty, mm -hmm. higher rates of engagement, higher rates of commitment. And so to be able to build on and maintain this trust is a really important thing that mm. leaders need to be able to do. I was going to ask you whether, I mean, as an, from an employee's perspective, I think that more transparency is a fantastic thing. I was going to ask you more broadly, you know, with your expertise as an organisational psychologist, whether it is, but all of those things that you just mentioned are absolutely the kind of thing that employers um, seek to foster, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's this, this, there's a collective say now in mm. terms of what's important around here. Um, sure. How we operate, mm -hmm. what we invest in. Yeah. Um, you know, we can see organisations actually taking a stand on social issues, almost like activists, which yes. we haven't seen before. You know, Oricon um, has cut ties with the Dani. Qantas is a crusader for social justice and marriage equality. Mm. NAB recently announced that they're um, not funding organisations which have ties with animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going climate change, veganism, dogs yeah. at work. Yes. So there's this there's this shift of actually um, creating a more open environment where people 
bring themselves uh, to work yeah. and what they believe in um, and what they consider important is something that leaders need to really importantly tap into mm. um, in order to be able to navigate through the future of work. Such a fascinating topic. I mean, this, this one could very, very easily fill a full hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so building on that, Stella, we're asking a lot of employees these days, aren't we? I mean, not only to deliver on their work, but to change the way they do things, new ways of doing things, often doing more with less. And, you know, we read in the media that, 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 that we're seeing increased levels of anxiety, exhaustion, stress, and many mm. organisations are turning to meditation and helping build resilience as a solution for, for their employees, mm. you know, as we encourage people to bring them whole, their whole selves to work to counter that push to automation. Sorry, that is a very long question. But what I'm getting to here is I'm interested to understand your your views and thoughts around that whole nature versus nurture theme and whether empathy can be learned and, and whether we can build empathetic cultures within organisations? Yeah, I think that's quite an um, important question. Um, I actually don't think it's an option anymore, but um, I think that we have to build more empathic uh, cultures. Uh, I think it's the only way that you can sustain performance um, in terms of the you know, new demands on organisations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a perfect storm happening at the moment where we have um, the pace of work due to technology mm -hmm. um, intersecting with the pace of change due to the new ways of working. Um, in that mix, I think we have higher rates of loneliness, which uh, we know are as toxic on us as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And we have skyrocketing rates of mm. depression and yes. anxiety in the community. Yeah. And that creates a perfect mix for issues. Mm. And so um, I think that we do demand a lot from people and that um, it's important for us to make sure that we balance the outputs with the inputs that we um, remind people to pace themselves, to take their leave, to reach out and connect with others for support. Um, as leaders, to look for the symptoms, um, to be able to have uh, intervene and have those conversations. You know, Stella, yeah. geez, I've noticed that you're working really long hours. Mm -hmm. Is everything okay? Yeah. What's going on? Um, and to also carefully consider our own the tone that we set as leaders also. I'm mm. quite hyper-conscious of this in terms of our business because we're quite virtual and fluid. And yes. um, it's really easy for, for me to be able to use that technology um, unintentionally um, just through my stream of thought mm. uh, and and send a, a tone, set a tone which isn't my intent. So, mm -hmm. and that might be okay with my business partner Joe, who can kind of go, sure. oh, you know, it's quite late and Stella's thinking, and that's okay. Sure. I'll park until tomorrow. Uh -huh. But you know, people in my team, um, there's a power differential, sure. and so uh, the receipt of something like that would be uh, creating anxiety, mm -hmm. um, and actually have a um, less constructive impact than I would desire. So. I think that it's, um, it's, a, it's important to stay quite conscious of that. And empathy can absolutely be learned, and, um, but it's something that we 
have to consciously uh, remember to do. Okay. So um, we know that you know through neuroscience that we have um, a series of mirror neurons in our brain, which means that as soon as we spend some time together, um, there's this infection that happens um, in terms of our feelings. And so if someone's hurt or if someone's happy, mm -hmm. uh, you'll feel that in their um, presence. And so, uh, and this creates almost like a, um, a neural Wi-Fi uh, <laughs> with, ev with, okay. with everybody around us. Okay. And so that's why it's so important to connect with each other and hence why having quite an empathic culture yeah. is, is critical. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, the large majority of us uh, have the capacity to be empathic. Okay. And so, therefore, actually learning how to do that um, in a mm -hmm. way that's demonstrable sure. is possible and is important. So how, how does one teach or learn to be more empathetic? Spending time with people and okay. listening. Um, it's that dyadic relationship that's important. So as a leader, um, you know, parting the ocean and actually physically or virtually yeah. coming together with people one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. small teams, as yeah. often as you can, okay. is actually what's going to trigger that empathic response because you'll understand that person, that small team, those issues at a far deeper level mm -hmm. than you would if you don't actually actively participate in those behaviours. And is something about, or is there an element of that talking a little bit about what's happening outside of work or getting to know, well, we talked about the, the whole person. Is, is, yeah. there, is there an element of that that contributes? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think that, I think that um, most employees these days would actually expect their mm. leader to be interested in them beyond what they're delivering on yeah. their project or in yeah. their team. It's it's such a fascinating conversation to me. I mean, I, I um, long time ago had a manager who was not interested in talking about anything outside of work, even even if it had been brought to said manager's attention that you know something really significant was happening and 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 um, incredibly stressful happening outside of the office and and I was I had a really sick member of my immediate family so I had a lot going on and we ultimately sort of ended up having a conversation and I sort of said look I why don't we talk about that you know I I would have mm. thought that that might be something that you might ask me and you know, my manager said, oh, well, look, it's private. You know, I assume that you would not want to talk about it at work and then yeah. if you needed help, you would ask. Yeah. And that was that was many years ago, but it was just really made me stop and think and mm. wonder whether what I was looking for and, and hoping for was something that wasn't reasonable in a, in a workplace. Yeah. It, was, it was really interesting. Yeah. It, it, I think it's a bit of a hangover of um, of a, you know an older s school of thought sure. in terms of how to succeed at a senior level. Yeah, um, um, far more compartmentalised approach. Sure, that mm -hmm. this is work and this is home. Yeah. and you turn off your computer and you go home mm. and you come back in the morning and you know these things are separate. Yeah, and um, I think that there's been a, a maturation process that's happened yeah. to um, to us as human beings sure that we've gone yeah 
that may have made sense mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Uh, but over the last decade or so, things are different now. And mm -hmm. there is, you know, emerging and a fluidity to our identity and who we are and what we do. Um, and it taps into, you know, the growing need of people uh, needing to feel like what they do has some meaning. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a great way to uh, articulate it because, um, yeah. you know, I like to talk about having a balanced life or seeking a balanced life rather than work-life balance because I don't think that they're compartmentalised, you know. Mm. If things are great in one area, then, of course, that's going to bleed into and influence the other. And, you know, conversely, when things are not going so well in one area, I think that that, that typically impacts yeah the other part as well and you know and and but there are people who are uh, more introverted um, mm. and a little bit more private mm -hmm. than others and um, and as a leader I think it's um, it's about understanding what the boundaries are sure. for, for those people yeah um, and that being okay but at the same sometimes you actually do need to get a little bit closer mm. than you would to others to find out yes. the same um, uh, information you need about what motivates that person and what mm. makes them tick. Yeah, well, that's so important, isn't yeah. it? Sort of all facets. Yeah. Stella, you did the Australian Institute of Company Directors course about seven years ago. Um, and I know from the conversation that we'd had before we started recording that you said at the time the subject or area of culture was included in that course, mm -hmm. but that it was really new. And you talked about having some awakenings as a result of that. Um, I'm really interested to explore this and to hear some more about that, please. Um, yeah, it was, um, I can't remember, sort of uh, seven or eight years ago that I did the um, IACD program. And I was um, both satisfied and surprised to actually see uh, culture on the agenda okay. um, at the time. Um, I think since then uh, it's evolved, um, obviously, and also become quite heightened with the Royal Commission mm. into banking. Um, and I think that it's something that's always been in the DNA of my thinking. Um, and you know, I throw back to um, you know when you and I first met when I was at Mercer, and a lot of the work that I did there in terms of mergers and acquisitions and. Um, looking to connect the dots between um, you know the board and culture and why this uh, why the attraction to this particular acquisition okay. um, and then well what are the potential cultural pitfalls at the due diligence and integration mm, levels okay. and you know doing that work back then um, uh, sort of was one part another plank in in this and and I've also in my work seen um, how executives teams attempt to manage their relationship with the board, mm -hmm. sometimes to the detriment of the organisation, where you know I think good ideas can sometimes be held back because there's a perception that the board's going to be too conservative, um, that there might be reputational harm in mm. terms of taking something that's too progressive, and um, and I think that that's um, it plays into this notion of psychological safety that it's actually not just an issue that affects our employees but also executives when they're facing into um, you know board environments sometimes mm. and I don't think that I think that that's an unintended consequence and so um, I think that you know around our earlier conversation about 
the democratization of things, I think that there's also a democratization of influence happening at the board level. Okay. Um, and that I think that there's a you know, a debate being had about, you know, is its purpose, should its purpose be to uh, respond to shareholders? Yes. Or is it actually bigger and broader than that? Um, you know, is this organisation something that's greater than um, simply a profit-making entity? Is it a social enterprise? Mm. Um, and that hasn't been settled yet. You know, these are conversations that are being had, and this is actually about influence. So they, are they accountable? Um, to the communities that they serve also. Yes. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, what what kind of got board members into the boardroom in the past, which was a lot about their industry, a technical prowess, isn't necessarily what's going to um, be the, uh, you know, what's going to define the future. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think that there's something about direct capability um, around managing relationships and understanding the intended and unintended impact of their behaviour on each other, on the executive, on, you know, the sector that yes. they operate in. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it's a, an evolving space and an important one. Um, and I think for boards to sort of further develop uh, better insight and understanding mm -hmm. um, around the capability um, of themselves in this space is a fabulous place to start. It's it's a it's it's a topic that's really interesting to me. I mean, yeah. you know, having spent a lot of the last six years focusing quite heavily around the energy and resources space, this this is very much a conversation that has been evolving and and quite quickly, you know, to my mind that, as you say, the I guess the, the, the typical or many people in the community used to view the purpose of organisations as largely as being responsible or existing to support their shareholders or for their shareholders' benefit. And this growing, well, groundswell of the fact that that's not really by many considered to be good enough anymore. It's that you operate with integrity and, you know, if you look at some of um, the... Uh, the marches and the the protests have been happening around the world. You know, it's it's a lot of younger people, students who can't yet vote, don't yet have jobs, um, but they're having a really firm say in terms of um, trying to bring to the the global consciousness yeah. a whole lot of other issues, which which is really interesting. And as they start to be able to vote and have money and and influence, um, you know, the, the the economy even more, mm. I think we're going to see a whole lot of change. So it's interesting to sort of hear you talk about that, I guess this perhaps more as a top-down Yeah, approach. absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah that's how I see it. It's, um, yeah. And I think that it is a, a, an evolutionary piece in mm. terms of organisational structure, governance, impact, yeah. um, connection. Yeah, okay. So if we were to grab your crystal ball and gaze ahead 10, 20 <laughs> years, would the, what would you expect the, or what might you guess the, the AICD course might cover in terms of culture? Would you expect perhaps that it would be more significant than today? Oh yeah, today? Look, absolutely. I think, I think it will be okay. far more significant 
yeah, for sure. Oh, that's that's <laughs> no a really doubt. interesting case study in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> we'll revisit that in yeah. a few years, Stella. Um, the work that you've been doing is a lot around challenging some well-established norms. How do you? I'm really interested to know how you stay at the cusp of new and different. You know, mm. especially in the people and culture space. Um, I, I really like to go out to the fringes. Um, I like to go hard right and hard left <laughs> and then land somewhere in the middle. And, mm. um, you know, that middle varies from client to client mm -hmm. and depends on the context. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you talked about crystal balls a minute ago and I'm a huge fan of uh, futurists. I think that I listen to many of them and they really do have profound insight yeah. in terms of, you know, what's coming and help us to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, I was listening to a podcast just the other day where um, there was, um, it was actually about an organisation which uh, attracts incredible talent and then just ingests them. So <laughs> they don't actually um, even draft a job description. They, they, mm -hmm. take, they take them in and yeah. then they drop them in yes. and allow them to... Um, to float for around about three months mm -hmm. and allow them to turn over every stone, talk to as many people as possible, explore every project, understand how we function around here, how we make money, how we succeed and how we operate, and then work out where you think that you can add the most value and be the best you can be. That's fascinating. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. Now, I, I don't think that there's a, a, too many Australian organisations who are ready to take on a model like that. <laughs> but you know what? Um, you look at that and you listen to that and you go, you know what? That could work. Why mm. not? Mm. Right? Um, so, so I think that um, being inspired by you know, thinkers who are broad and far and wide um, yeah. and then bringing it back to what makes sense yeah. for us today yeah. and here yeah. is what I love to do. Um, what I what I don't like to do is um, a copycat technique. I don't I don't like. Um, I, sometimes I might see um, you know this attempt to copy some of the big techs. They they mm -hmm. have really deep pockets. Yeah. Um, yes. And <laughs> they also operate or have operated in in spaces which have been quite liberal in terms of regulation as well. And mm. so. They could be really creative and, and play with lots of things. Much more scope. Much more scope. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've seen some organisations lately undoing Agile in some parts of their business. And really? I've seen um, some organisations stepping away from the fail fast mantra. Um, oh, you know, those they are two catch cries that you hit. Well, that I reckon I hear just about any conversation or any conference or professional development that I attend. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a there's a time and a place for it. Um, you know, there are times and places where it works really, really well, and then others where it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think it's just using judgment around um, what's actually appropriate. Okay. Um, and what makes sense for us. I think. Um, I also really like to get out in the front of things and play with new ideas. So, you know, we, we, um, we started to play with design thinking, for example, quite early on and, and weave mm. it through a lot of the work that we do now. Okay. Um, it, I think it's a fabulous way to force creativity into mm -hmm. a traditional process and a very, very engaging way yep. to get um, people connected into something. 
um, playing with um, things like behavioural economics around what can we um, mm. take from this and actually apply to um, our craft. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately I do like to try and um, get in early. So um, I, I like to appear in places where <laughs> cult cultural uh, awareness is kind of um, early days. So, you know, for example, one of our earliest clients um, was a startup um, cosmetics industry, mm. um, two co-founders uh, out of Mecca and mm -hmm. designed a, a sunscreen for millennials facial sunscreen for millennials. And why, why, and for, or why made it for millennials? Education. Okay. Yeah, so mm -hmm. taking a really strong educational stance in yeah. terms of um, uh, skin protection uh -huh. very early on. Yeah. And so, um, and they, um, they needed seed funding to uh, manufacture mm -hmm. product to yeah. take it to market. And so they weren't interested in going down the VC path but um, had found a third equity partner okay. uh, who would inject um, some of the funding that they needed to be able to um, go to the next stage. Yeah. And so we, the work that we did with them was actually about um, uh, cultural forecasting. And what, spoke, what is that? And spoke to um, and, and worked with the two co-founders in terms of what is, what is the organisation um, that you want to create going okay. to be about? Um, you know, ha what what does that potentially look like? What does it mean? Mm -hmm. And so, doing that work with them, we then conducted the assessment of the the option of a third equity partner. Okay. And then spoke to them about uh, how it would shift what it is that they wanted to mm -hmm. create from a cultural point of view. Mm -hmm. And based on the advice, they actually didn't go down that path. They left the money on the table, and they wow. funded. Um, they self-funded and have been incredibly successful. So you know, you look in, you, you look up Ultraviolet, and you'll see that it's become a cult brand in vogue now. Okay. Um, and they're building an organisation which they love, um, and which they, you know, the two co-founders mm -hmm. completely um, own themselves. Um, I turn up to cybersecurity conferences, and you know, every time I do that, I get asked, "What the heck are you doing there? <laughs> you know, you're people in HR." And what are you doing and there? So, what are you doing there, so Stella? Again, again, you know, the 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 issues there are very much about culture. Yes, um, how yes. How it's playing out in organisations yes. and how those teams need to be working together, and you know, the cultural awareness is um, far more important to them. Uh, than the next software and gadget that they're that they're buying, and so, you know, getting out the front um, early <laughs> is what I love to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting, but but you're right. I mean, I, I can't remember the the particular statistics, but I know from a cybersecurity perspective, the vast bulk of breaches or issues are actually human error, aren't they? They're not um, absolutely. They're not failures of of the tech. Absolutely, mm. and. You know, there's also, um, you know, the connection of those security teams in with development teams and yeah, the rest okay. of the process. Fascinating yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And not one I'd immediately connect with no. um, organisational psychology. <laughs> <laughs> so Stella, you sponsor a, um, an initiative... Uh, it's a not-for-profit. A not-for-profit yeah. um, in Victorian ICT, which aims yeah. to increase female participation in, yeah. in IT. Um, and you talked about a study tour that you're going on, um, looking at a whole lot of interesting mm. things. Tell me more about that. 
Yeah, so I think, um, you know, STEM is such an important part of our progression as, as humans. Mm. And um, I think technology is very much a game changer at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think that women should know that their skills and perspectives are wanted and mm -hmm. needed mm -hmm. in technology. Yeah. Um, and seeing young girls in this space, I think, is really important. Um, you know, from a personal example, I have a nine-year-old daughter, Alessandra, and she came to me uh, last year sometime and she said, Mum, look, um, I'm keen to do bricks for kids after school. And okay. bricks for kids is a robotic Lego pro program. Yeah. Awesome. Thought, oh, okay, fair enough. If yeah. you've got the interest, uh -huh. we'll give it a go. So, term one, oh, I love this. Term two, yeah, I really like this. Term three, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but as we're heading into term four, yeah. don't think I really want to go back. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? How did we get from yeah. I love this to I don't want to go back? Uh -huh. And so the poor little girl, after many, many, many questions from me, <laughs> um, what, what I did understand was that in term one and term two, there were two instructors in the room, mm -hmm. one male, one female. Mm -hmm. Alessandra was one of 15 children, 14 adults with boys. So mm -hmm. um, that in and of itself is interesting. It is. But, it is. Um, I think that the, having that female instructor in the room was um, critical to potentially integrating Alessandra into mm -hmm. team formation, um, someone to go to with questions, yeah. etc., and possibly also being a, a, a role model. Model. That whole you can be what you can see element. Yeah, potentially. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so what happened in term three was that the female instructor, for some reason, stopped going, and it was only the male instructor. And I'm not sure whether that person just didn't do the job of integrating as well, okay. um, didn't understand yeah. the importance of being yes. able to do that potentially. Uh -huh. um, but I think that that was a really large um, contributor to mm -hmm. the exit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, linking it back to um, our work, yeah. I think that having uh, women uh, in leadership positions within technology is mm really important to the stickiness of participation, particularly um, for our young and emerging and upcoming female talent. And you know, that's where I'd love to be able to do more um, and support organisations who are doing more okay. in that space. And so when the opportunity um, came up to um, go on a study tour next year yeah. to Silicon Valley to go through the tech giants and some of the universities and understand this um, further, I absolutely put my hand up and I'm really looking forward to see you know, uh, what they're do what's working over there okay. and um, what we can potentially bring back and, and apply here. So are they ahead of where we are? Well, that's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that necessarily they would be. Um, mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because um, at the last cybersecurity conference that I was at, yes. um, one of the partners from Accenture um, uh, spoke and noted that uh, she uh, was uh, surprised and um, pleased to see yeah. uh, the female level of participation 
um, in the cybersecurity space here in Australia. Okay. And so, you know, if I, if you think about that as a bit of a she was US based. She was US based. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, but but does works globally, yeah, and sure. so if you think of that as a small litmus test, then um, mm. then you know who knows we might actually be a step ahead. But yeah, um, okay. but I think it's a one one of those things that we've got to stay on top of and actually grow further and more. Yeah, mm, that sounds like a really interesting study tour, and one of my favourite parts of the world. <laughs> we might have to have another conversation when you're back from yeah. that. Yes, I'll look for some <laughs> tips. <laughs> Absolutely. So Stella, you one of your numerous titles is that you are a co-CEO and, and I have to say that's not a term I've heard much at all. <laughs> You're a female-led organisation and you have explained to me that when you were setting up the organisation, you were advised not to go down that route of co-CEO, yeah. advice that you decided to ignore. Yeah. Um we, it is. It's unique, isn't it? Um, we're co-founders and we're co-CEOs, and mm. um, and we make it work. And it, and that's okay. Um, it works for us. We share the lead uh, with complementary styles, and we have a core set of shared values. And I think that's the really important um, piece. My business partner Joe and I, I see as a Venn diagram. <laughs> Um, and um, you know we're we're both uh, mothers of, of young girls, okay. and we're both nurturing a young business. Mm -hmm. um, we're busy, and yeah. you know we've got yeah. each other's backs. And um, I don't think that I ever have it all. There's always um, sacrifices mm. that I'm making, um, either at home or at work, and mm. that's okay. Mm. Um, you know, I think behind each one of those choices, I know that there's a sacrifice. Um, and uh, there's also comf comfort in knowing that Joe and I are in the same boat and we're, we're each other's uh, life rafts to a certain degree. Um, we, we share the leadership role where we're both across the bigger issues and we divvy out the smaller ones. Mm. We respectfully disagree with each other and we um, trust our advisory board when we get stuck. Yeah. Um, we've built a solid platform of governance in our business, which means that we can simply get on with the business of being in business. Okay. And uh, that for us has created really good confidence going into the next decade. Yeah, sure. Why do you think the advice that you received was not to, not to take that path? I think that, um, look, I think, I don't think it was bad advice necessarily. I think that... Well, you um, respectfully with, disagreed with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, I think that um, there, there's huge risks, um, yeah. you know, if it's not done right. I think that you do need governance. I think it's governance is the key. I think that it needs to be structured to a certain degree mm. so that there's clarity for people and clarity um, for you as a leader within this co-shared arrangement as well. Um, and I think that at its basis is trust, mm -hmm. that yeah. you have to have yeah. trust in each other sure. in terms of your intent, in terms of your operations, mm. for it to be able to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Joe and I um, actually spoke to as many failed um, partnerships as we could sure. uh, before okay. we set mm, up smart. Uh, to, to understand what, what is it that went wrong? What is it that you would do differently? Mm -hmm. What happened? Um, and most of the time, it was about trust. Okay, well, and we read, read and increasingly talk about that in 
well, all, all facets of life, but certainly yeah. um, in the business, yeah. in the business realm. Jo, you consider yourselves to be leaders in the gig economy uh, with almost micro placements on projects, mm. tapping into people who you've described as would otherwise be dormant. Mm. I'd really like to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I call this our treasure trove of talent, and um, <laughs> Joe finds this term hilarious. Um, but I really like it because I think it speaks to how I feel about um, our team. And you know, this is a group of people who are incredibly talented. They've come out of big corporate roles or large consulting gigs, and yeah. for whatever reason, um, and the reasons vary. Mm -hmm. uh, going back into um, that space doesn't work for them at this particular time mm. um, for whatever reason. And so um, many, many of them would uh, potentially be dor economically dormant. Mm. Um, and so to be able to mobilise them and um, get them really excited and inspired and engaged around projects is hugely rewarding. Sure. Um, and, um, and I think that uh, it's it's actually about making sure that they uh, come together on t on their terms in terms of what works for them uh, to be up is, is it the right piece of work mm. um, is it is it the right um, client and sort of technical background and is it the right price and this this last notion around is it the right price is a really important one because it's a defining characteristic of um, of how we operate and Joe and I are happy to take hits on our margin um, to be able to make sure we get that hygiene factor right mm. and that it's a part of our culture. Okay. How do you, so you, you talked earlier about the fact that a lot of your team are based on site or, or working remotely. Um, I personally have worked in virtual teams spread across multiple time zones, which, you know, which, which can make having a great team culture quite challenging. How, how do you approach that? Mm. Yeah, technology these days is amazing, isn't it? Um, as you probably would yeah. have experienced. And um, my business partner, Jo, um, moved to Asia to establish our Asian operations. And so, um, and, it, and it's been seven months now. Mm -hmm. So, but interestingly, it, makes no difference whether she's in our office in CBD, out with a client, um, you know, at home Bayside, Melbourne, or in South Korea, uh, where there's only 12 hours time difference. Really? So uh, to be able to um, function as, as co-directors hasn't really um, been impacted. Mm -hmm. However, having said that though, with our broader team, we do need to um, orchestrate um, our culture. We have to consciously uh, create it. Okay. And so we use a multiple um, series of tools to be able to do that. We use uh, Google Hangouts for our uh, project-based um, chat messenger chats. Mm -hmm. We use WhatsApp yep. um, for our social and fun banter. We use um, uh, things like you know, traditional training sessions where we bring people together mm -hmm. and we make sure that we build in times where we physically, at least at a minimum on a quarterly basis, actually have a full day yeah, together. Okay. Okay. And so um, 
we stay on top of making sure that we uh, connect and that connection is actually a priority. Okay, so a considered focus around Absolutely. that, not just that it's a byproduct yeah. and fit in if the stars align. Yeah. That's interesting. I like the I like the element with WhatsApp using you know acknowledging that that some some fun and social silly banter is is an important part of what makes up that um, you know that cohesive team. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. It goes back to what we were talking about before. Mm. We want we want to know more about our people mm. beyond what work they're delivering for our yeah. clients. Yeah, now we want to see the photos of the school concert, mm. and all those sorts of things. Ah, uh, well, you know. <laughs> My, my colleagues see plenty of that. I, well, in inverted commas, delighted several of them with a, um, my, my eight-year-old son's first hip-hop concert last weekend <laughs> with some fairly loud music blaring oh, in the office on Friday afternoon, which garnered a few looks from <laughs> team sitting by I us, love it. but good fun. Now, Stella, that leads perfectly and unintentionally into the final topic that I wanted to discuss. So, you know, building on a couple of the themes that have come up, Bit more of a, a personal focus. This question when we when we had a copy recently to to chat about this podcast and to to shape some themes, we discovered that we had both had premature babies born at the same hospital and the same number of weeks gestation, and <laughs> that led to a pretty long, pretty still emotional conversation, particularly when you consider that said babies are now eight and nine. <laughs> Uh, you know, we talked earlier about bringing our whole selves to work. How did this experience influence you in your work? Yeah, look, I've already, you know, mentioned um, my daughter um, and I. the reason is because I can't context my work without um, taking into consideration the entirety of my life experience. Mm. And for me, yes. having a child was part of that. And, um, and... You know, having a very premature baby was a highly traumatic experience yes. for me and um, and my family, and it changed the course of my career. And so, you know, I think soon after um, I went in, I went on to support the pioneering work of a pediatric neuropsychologist who was helping um, babies and families. Um, to uh, intervene early mm. on developmental issues. And so I worked with her to establish a charity, which I then chaired uh, for a couple of years. And, you know, for me, that was a personally therapeutic and hugely professionally rewarding experience. <laughs> I um, and, um, and ultimately, you know, it's one of the influences that uh, led me to where I am now. Mm, okay. And um, and at the end of the day, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but where I am yeah. right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I couldn't be more excited to be consulting in the people's space um, at the moment. I think the last 20 years have created a great platform for you know, incredible things, and the coolest stuff hasn't even been invented yet. <laughs> um, and um, and I really think that you know it's kind of the almost the most important time in history for for me to be doing the sort of work that I'm doing. And 
Um, and if I hadn't had those early, mm. earlier experiences, yeah. then, you know. So I think that um, out of trauma um, and, um, and, you know, the, the curveballs that life throws at you sometimes, yes. um, it takes some time, but you eventually land on your feet and do something with it. Well, you, you clearly are, and you're doing a whole lot of really, really interesting stuff. Stella, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone. And if you loved it, please give me some leave some feedback on iTunes to help other people find this great content. I read all feedback and thoroughly enjoy it. We've got some excellent thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And you can find me on Twitter at KTB Marketing or on LinkedIn, Katie Bennett Stenton.